What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Two Beers Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Deke, and with me is Greg. Uh, Greg, we are not on Twitch tonight, but I think the Twitch show went pretty well for us on Thursday. Yeah, I, I think the Twitch show went very well. We got a lot of compliments on the stream as we were going about the video being clear, and they were able to hear us perfectly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we quality to the roof. And we discovered that apparently Justin Boyd is Big Greg, so... I don't think we look alike, but hey, whatever. Well, so on Idiot Hour, because he's sitting next to me, they've, they've always called him Big Greg. And Greg Scalp okay. is Skinny Greg. So everyone's <laughs> a Greg. <laughs> I didn't realize my name would be considered as a way to describe people, but hey. Synonymous with the chair next to me, man. So whoever's there is a Greg. It just depends mm-hmm. how you figure your way to the Greg. What about any of those times that Josh filled in for me? I wonder what he would have been. I forget what they uh, – I, I, I just think he's just Josh. I, I, there was a name for him for a little bit that was funny, but I cannot remember for the life of me uh, what it was. But it was definitely some variation of a Greg. Nerdy Greg maybe? Nerdy Greg feels right. Maybe, yeah. But then that's, that's, that's weird then because I'm already a nerd, so that just kind of doesn't make sense. But <laughs> Yeah, well, he looks more like a nerd I think is what it came down to. Uh, that makes sense. But uh, let's dive right into the show. So three – Two, one, action. Stole the noise from me today. Uh, Big week in sports. Uh, I want to start off in the NHL just because, you know, no games today, but we do have the upsetting news that the Penguins are going to bounce. Bounced by Canadians, huh? Yeah, bounced by the bounced by the last team that was able to qualify for the playoffs. Yeah, the twenty third seed, twenty fourth, twenty fourth. Jeez, the the worst team coming into the playoffs bounced the Penguins. It's a, it's just it, yeah, it's, it's, so it's one of those revelations that just like you are dumbfounded by when you see something like that. And, and, and you could make the case that, I mean, Chicago upsetting Edmonton in the West was, was also a big upset, but I would consider this to be the bigger one by far. I would say that this is the bigger one, but the Edmonton one was crazy as well. Um, I, I don't know, man. The Pens just didn't look like they cared at all, I guess. I, I, you can't really put all the blame on Matt Murray, but he did get pulled for the last game for uh, Christian Jari, who I thought, you know, obviously it wasn't his fault they lost that game because just getting thrown into a series like that Never a good thing for them, but man, they they got some stuff to figure out. Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces moving forward now. I'm I'm honestly not one to blame Matt Murray for the first two losses. I believe it was a whole team collapse. And I mean, Jari still played well in Game Four, but I mean, it was the same story. Like we just could not score in any of those games, and that was really their downfall moving forward. But they got. They have a lot of decisions to make for this upcoming season. Both Jari and Murray are restricted free agents. They're probably going to choose to keep Jari and try to shop Murray's rights to be able to get something back for them. Uh, Jared McCann is going to be due for a contract. Uh, Justin Schultz probably won't be back. There's a lot of like third, fourth-line guys that are probably going to leave as well or there are going to be decisions that are going to be made on them. Uh, we shall see how it goes. And then also think about that too. Um, it doesn't look like the cap is going to go up this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a flat cap going forward next year. So there's some that are going to be in some tight budget restraints for this upcoming season. So uh, there's going to be some interesting choices moving forward. Them. Yeah, man. I think the biggest one like you brought up is that Matt Murray most likely will get uh, shopped, which comes to the end of arguably one of the toughest decisions I've seen in Penguins history, which is Matt Murray or, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, and I think, you know, like we always say, at the time, that was the correct move, but man, it uh, doesn't look like the correct move now, huh? No, but the, yeah, but the rules are essentially reversed in this case now. Murray was the one that was up and coming and was a cheaper option for the aging Fleury that didn't play well, and now it's the, now it's the rules are reversed. Murray is the guy that is kind of on his way out, getting too expensive, and Jari is the cheaper alternative. I mean, I think in terms of age-wise, they're pretty close to each other, so it's not like you can necessarily make the argument that, you know, we're going to play the guy that's going to be younger, but at the same time, 
the fact that it, their current cap hit right now, I believe Murray was making 3.5 mil and Jari was only making 600,000. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious to go with who would you rather pay. Yeah, and it's 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 a decision that I don't have to make, thank God, because no matter which one you make, it always feels like you're making the wrong one of those situations. But Matt Murray's on a three-year, uh, $11 million contract. Um including 11 of a guaranteed. It's just one of those deals where like hockey deals aren't that crazy in themselves, but at the same time, if we can get that one off the books, especially with Jari only making like 600,000, uh, that would be big. I think for the pens going the next year, because I mean, as much as we don't want to talk about it, we're on a clock with how much more top tier hockey this team has together with Gino and Sid. Yeah. There's a, there's a big conversation going on on Twitter and all the other social media platforms right now about, what they should do moving forward is the window officially closed right now. Should we consider trading someone from the core of Malkin, Crosby, and Latang? And what can we do right now for it? Uh, it's a big decision that's gonna get that's gonna be on the hands of uh, Jim Rutherford going into this year. I'm intrigued to see how it goes because I am a big believer that the Pens should. I don't want to say they need a full teardown necessarily, but I do think mm-hmm. there, there needs to be some sort of retooling if you will to that certain degree i think that you, we only have crosby for four more years perhaps and i and i look at that as if he doesn't take another shot to the head yeah yeah if he doesn't take another shot to the head, so this is a situation where they need to be able to maximize that talent as much as they possibly can so i don't really want to say i don't think this core is the one that is ready for it right now because i think they've been exploited so badly the last two years yeah, and I, I think the other interesting factor of this is the last time that the Pens were in a situation like this, we snuck in with the uh, lockout number one overall pick and got Cindy Crosby. So we now have a chance in another weird year to gain the number one overall pick and get ourselves Lafreniere, Lafreniere, Alexis <laughs> Lafreniere, whatever, uh, who honestly potentially is that generational talent. And I think that if the Penguins walked out of here with that pick, I, that would be. I think the league would just burn down. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting situation because it would it would be pretty amazing to see that happen. But at the same time, like it, it's just it's just what happens with the lottery. But I think from like a casual fan perspective, yes, a lot of people would be kind of pissed that the Pens get the first pick. But at the, there's like some other routes that I would go with that too. Like I'd be upset if Toronto or Edmonton got the first pick. Um, I mean, I can maybe make an argument for the Rangers as well, who are also eligible for it. But at the same time, I mean, Pittsburgh, you could argue, is an extremely important hockey market for the NHL because of how stronger of revitalization they essentially had from when they were on the Mm -hmm. brink of bankruptcy to now being one of the most highly profitable franchises in hockey. So this 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 is an organization and a franchise that the NHL needs to kind of keep on the up and up or keep maintaining the status quo that it's had for so long. And if it's possible that they could get Lafreniere, I think it would be probably the best thing that could happen to the NHL as a whole. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Especially, I mean, just like you said, Pittsburgh as a whole is a big uh, hockey city and we've been a staple point into hockey for a while. And I think that if he ended up at the Oilers, that would be just absolutely insane. I would hate to see him go to the Panthers, the wild, uh, the Rangers need a savior. The Leafs need a savior. The Jets, I think, would be bad. And the Preds, maybe. But uh, I definitely think we're the team that, like, we're coming off an embarrassing meltdown, and we have a very short window of stars left. And if we got him, I think that would, that would set us up for a long time. Yeah, it is nice to see that, at least in this case, that a generational talent like Lafreniere is going to be going to an organization that isn't necessarily terrible. Like any of yes. any of the clubs that are getting the number one chance, number one spot, like you have a solid core already at your disposal to work with. So really, I mean, he couldn't have lucked out better in this case. I mean, these are teams that were very close to even being in the playoffs from the old format to whatsoever. So really, he's going to a situation where he could probably compete right away, and he doesn't necessarily have to have the pressure to be the franchise savior. Dude, if he ended up in uh, Toronto with Matthews and Tavares and Nylander, that would be, I think that would almost be as exciting if he ends up a penguin just because that, or if you even put him with Connor McDavid in in Edmonton, like I really want him to end up at a team that could be a powerhouse for a couple years 
uh, down the road. I think that would be so much fun, and that's why I like the NHL draft because most of those guys get to you know go back to college, and it's a little bit different for it. But every once in a while, you get this type of generational talent that just um, can end up in the right place at the right time. No, yeah, this is an absolute steal for Lafreniere, and there's a very good chance that he will have a massive ahead of the curve when it comes to his development process compared to other number one overall picks that don't want to say floundered necessarily to start, but really needed time to build a team around them to be able to work with. In this case, he's going through a great situation regardless. Yeah. Um, so Votash just sent me a Snapchat that he has the Stanley Cup is between the Avalanche and the Flyers with the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup this year. Thoughts on that one? That'd be interesting. I, I, I like the Avalanche. Um, I, I'm a Nathan McKinnon fan and all that. I think they have – it's taken years for them to be able to gel as a unit to be able to get to this point where I think they could contend right away. The Flyers is an interesting one. Um, obviously, he's going this route because they won the round-robin portion of the bubble, so now mm-hmm. they're going to face the Canadians in the official start of the playoffs, I guess. Um, it's intriguing to see how that goes. I'm much more I, – I still believe that – I think the Lightning have to be able to break through at some point to get to the finals because I think that team is so deep and it's so well-balanced to the point that I think that they could do some damage when given the opportunity to. So I'm leaning more towards the lightning in the East. And I think in the West, I would like Colorado. That'd be entertaining, but just to be a little bit different, I think I'm going to go with Dallas. Ooh, I like that though. Mm -hmm. I like being a little bit different in these types of things. Um, Yeah, man. Like I'm just happy that sports are back and we say that pretty much every week on here, but um it's going to be weird because I definitely did not see the Pens losing that first round, and I know we kind of joked about them possibly getting Lafreniere, but uh, I'm pretty upset they dodged out in the first, so we're going to have to see who I kind of root for going forward. It's definitely not going to be Philly, but we'll <laughs> see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting because the fact that we don't have the Pens anymore, so it's going to be less likely <clears throat> we talk about it or something like that. But I think if you can, if it's entertaining and stuff, why not still follow the playoffs? I mean, it's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll just go with the Golden Knights and we'll call it even. That's fair. <laughs> uh, in other news, uh, we're stretching over to the NBA. Um, have you been watching many games of the recent bubble in the NBA? Uh, I, I usually catch highlights of it pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the the main the main storylines that I've kind of seen so far is that uh, the Phoenix Suns are on a roll, which absolutely they should be. Um, T.J. Warren has all of a sudden stepped up to be the main offensive threat for the Indiana Pacers, which is kind of terrifying to think about from this. And Dame Lillard is going to will his team into that first-round matchup against the Lakers. I feel like at the weight that he's Dude, going. he's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I also love the back, back talk that he sent to uh, the Clippers after that loss to basically. Yes, yeah, so they were all cheering because they were, every time I won, he had two free throws, so he could have banged those free throws, and they were up by one with 18 seconds left, and he missed them both. Yeah. So the Pat, that Patrick Beverly and Mars and uh, Paul George were all celebrating that he missed them. He's like, that just means that they know that I should have hit them, and that's a a uh, it's a big compliment on my part. Which, you know, I can't believe Dame missed those. To be honest with you, and he can say whatever he wants, but he still missed them. But at the same time, I, I ride with Dame on almost every one of those situations. Yeah, I love I love the shade that he threw at both of them. Talking about how he eliminated both of them in the past years—that's just that's cold right there. No, um, oh, it's amazing. Which report yeah. showed all the clips and stuff. I loved it. I do appreciate the fact too that Dame did take the the heat of it by blaming himself for missing those free throws and costing his team a game. That 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 is definitely yeah, you kind of have to. Too. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a huge sign of someone who is not afraid to take the heat for that. So I credit to him on that one, but. Yeah, it's um, bubble has been very entertaining just from the the drama to unfold with the eight seed because we've already apparently it's been confirmed that because there's not going to be essentially like a four game gap between the eighth and ninth seed, we're going to get a play in series to determine who gets the last spot in the West, which I think is going to be very exciting. Oh, I know because there was oh, dude, I'm so excited for that. I also saw that teams that are not. Um, Teams that are eliminated by the 12th are being asked to leave immediately, which means that the Pelicans are out, which honestly, man, good. Get rid of them for now. They, yeah. The only person that's actually been playing well is B.I., and it's because Zion's not actually getting playing time, and I think Lonzo's still a bum. Were you, were you disappointed in how the Pelicans played during this bubble run? Extremely. Um, 
it, it's it's tough because they have such a young team, and you talk about Bi and Lonzo and Josh Hart and Hayes and Zion and and JJ being you know the leader on that team. It's it's just they're not there yet, and I honestly, dude, I, Zion doesn't look good. He doesn't look as explosive as he did before the bubble. Because there was a there was some people talking about he doesn't look explosive since Duke, which I disagree with. Because when he was having his first couple weeks in the NBA, that dude was putting up twenty five plus points a night and looking explosive. He just looks he looks big. He looks tired. And honestly, I don't blame him because how do you get in a groove when you're only playing three minutes here, four minutes there in a full NBA game? Um, but I hope that they they get that team figured out for next year because that is a promising promising young team. Yeah, I, I love the collection of talent that they've accumulated in New Orleans to build around Zion. And then we can't leave B.I. And, and Lonzo out of this either yep. because I think they're still core pieces as well. Uh, I, I look at this and, I mean, it is possible that Zion probably didn't condition himself properly to be able to play in the bubble. I think that is something that could be looked at too and maybe he needs to spend this time between the start of the season. And we forget too the – NBA season for next year is going to start in December. So there, there's a very short window of time frame to be able to get himself into playing shape to be the type of player that we're expecting him to be. Yeah. And I agree. I, I think Pelicans are probably the biggest disappointment of the bubble because there was a foregone conclusion that people wanted to see Zion and LeBron in the first round. But yep. now at this point, I mean, I'm excited for possibly seeing the Trailblazers or the Suns just because of how well they Dude, the Suns are 6-0 and right now. Devin yes, Booker had it's, three it's, games with 35-plus points in the bubble out of those six. DeAndre Ayton is playing great, too. Like, that was something that I was surprised by yes. as well. Because that was a guy, former number one overall pick, that I don't want to say is that he hasn't really lived up to his potential. But, yeah, he's starting to come around, too, in this bubble talk. Um, but I, I'm, I'm very surprised by how well the Suns are playing. I love that the Spurs seem to be playing Spurs basketball again, even without LaMarcus Aldridge, which is very – surprising and is a testament to how great of a coach pop is by getting a lot of these younger guys ready to go and mar DeRozan is playing great defense for this team which is not something that he was used to when he was in front no not at all um and i think that pop is one of the better things that's happened for demar DeRozan's career to be honest with you which is uh good for him i mean obviously i wish he would have gotten a ring with mm-hmm. toronto but at the same time for him to get that coaching is uh yeah is and then the big and then let's not forget the other big story, too, especially coming out of the East, and that it's probably that the 76ers are – No, they're done, dude, yeah. They don't – yeah, they don't have Ben Simmons. Uh, Joel Embiid messed up his ankle in the game against the Trailblazers. It looked bad. Uh, even if he was healthy and able to play, I, they just don't look right, man. No. There's just nothing about that team that would terrify me if I'm in the East right now. I mean, if I'm the Heat, if I'm the Pacers, if I'm the Celtics and I have to play them in the first round, I mean – I look at. I, I don't see anything about them that would cause me to panic. Yeah, the the Seventy Sixers man, Ben Simmons' knee. He's going to get surgery. I hate the Seventy Sixers as it is. Um, I like Joel Embiid. I just hate that team. And you're telling me that they. I mean, a majority of their money is in Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Ben Sim or in uh, Joel Embiid right now. Meaning that they don't have many guards. I mean, if you think about the guards they lost. Um, they lost Markel Fultz, you know, obviously last year, and he's on Orlando. Um, they lost J.J. Redick. They lost um, T.J. McConnell. So you're losing all these guards, and then there goes, boom, Ben Simmons, your only actual guard that can play anymore. And all of your money's in the front court when it's a backcourt NBA. Like, it just doesn't – there's nothing about the 76ers that screams they are getting the accurate amount of hype. Like, I think they are one of those overhyped teams in sports right now. That's fair. I, I think I think the reason that the Sixers were getting so much hype is because of when the process essentially kind of started to bear fruit after so many years mm-hmm. of just irrelevancy. I think that's where the hype train essentially came from with it. But now I think it's hitting to the realization where these guys just haven't blossomed into the all-caliber players that we believe you should be. Like Joel Embiid should be a guy that is dominating every single night, and he just doesn't. And I don't know if it's a mindset thing. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's a development thing or what it is. But Joel Embiid has really kind of underperformed and also been kind of a letdown. I don't want to say he's been a bust because there's definitely times where you watch him 
and he shows you the flashes of being the elite level player that he is, but in terms of consistency, it is not there. Oh, for sure, man. And it, uh, I don't think you can call him. I mean, he did sit out for what, two years, two and a half years. Like, no one knew. And they drafted, uh, Jalil before and Nerlens Noel, who, uh, I don't even know if Jalil's still technically playing, but Nerlens is. And Embiid obviously was the better of the three of all of them. It's just one of those things, though, that, you know, the process is a complete failure in my mind. And not even, I mean, granted, they were a bounce of the ball away from the NBA Finals last year. But when you lose all the pieces that they lost, and now you lost Ben Simmons, and the only player you really brought back in was Al Horford because they had Tobias Harris, it just doesn't fit today's NBA at all. Yeah. I'd be intrigued to see what happens next. Elton Brand's really got some thinking to do with this roster because I think after seeing all the hype that could have been with this bubble and then seeing it come crashing down, granted part of it is because of how bad Ben Simmons' knee was, I think he's going to have some interesting takes on what he has to do to re-kind of tool this roster. Yeah. I did see that the Cleveland Cavaliers believe they have an enticing package to trade for Simmons. Um, my thing for that was if the... Cavs send Andre Drummond, Colin Sexton, and a second for Ben Simmons. I'm taking it. Or just even Colin Sexton at that point. Because I just, I don't know, but Simmons just doesn't fit there. Putting Drummond and Embiid on the same team, though, I feel like would not work. Well, it depends what Al Horford does on his contract. But, I mean, it is redundant. But at the same time, I I think Drummond's one of the more underappreciated players in the NBA. And he fits the defensive side of the ball where Mm -hmm. Joel is a little more of a tactician. They just need something different, man. And and if it's to get rid of Ben Simmons or to get rid of Embiid, one of the two of them, I'm keeping Embiid. Yeah, I agree. I think that Ben Simmons is one of those guys that I think needs to be the guy. Yep. That makes sense. I think he needs the pressure on him to be the one to consistently produce on a on a given night to be the to essentially kind of take that next step to be there. It's kind of like. I don't want to compare it to James Harden necessarily, but it's almost kind of like the James Harden syndrome where he needed to get out of Oklahoma City to realize the, his potential. And yeah. In it. I, that's what I kind of look at with Ben Simmons. And I, and I like that trade idea of sending Sexton to Philadelphia because Sexton has really, I, I don't want to say he's progressed much in two years in Cleveland, but they need guards badly in Philadelphia. And I think having, a running mate and a stable roster with you like Al Horford and like Joel Embiid and like Tobias Harris, I think that could do wonders for a young guard who is still learning the curve in the NBA. And we, and this is something that I preach every single time with young NBA players. They take a lot of time to develop. 100% man. Uh, So let's look at it. I'm looking at the NBA trade thing right now. Um, uh, The Cavs are so ugly. So, Drummond has a no-trade clause. Tristan Thompson has a no-trade clause. Delvadova, oh, his contract expired. So, never mind. Drummond, Thompson, and Delvadova's contract all expired, so they are technically all free agents. It is not a no-trade clause. Um, They still have Kevin Love on a four-year 28 mil, so I'm not touching that if I'm Philadelphia. I definitely want either Darius Garland or Colin Sexton. I would prefer Darius Garland, but since uh, he was just drafted, I doubt that they would give him up. So throw in a sex in there. And then if you're looking at other guards on that Cleveland team, man, there's really not much. There's Porter Jr. and then Windler, and there's no other guard that I would even consider. So I would need some big trade capital if I'm coming in this uh, as the Philadelphia 76ers. I think, I think Cleveland's high on Porter, to be honest with you. So I think they would keep him. I think the package would probably have to be Sexton, a first-round pick, and maybe an expiring contract. Yeah. I don't even know. How, how do I add picks? And, Cleveland, and, I mean, Cleveland is in the lottery, so there's a very good chance they'll get someone. Because if I'm – I mean, like, if I'm Philly, I mean, I think this is a good draft to have a ball – to get a ball handler. I agree. Roster. And, I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland has a very good chance. I, I think they could be probably top – five maybe perhaps at least so i mean i think you could be guaranteed like at least an anthony edwards a lamello ball a um uh the guy from um the guy in serbia who's uh ivan Z- ivan zabigic or something like that I can't let me pull up the prospect name. list just so we can talk about them yeah i i can't remember his i can't remember his damn name uh, i mean james wiseman would not would not work in philly at all so that's a that's a no-go for me um 
believe Obi Toppin would be. Oh man, I love Obi. Obi Toppin would be a great kind of like replacement for Horford right now, but I don't know if he would fit well with it. But yeah, there's some guy in like it's either Croatia or Serbia that I believe he's a top five pick this year. He was mocked a couple times to Cleveland. I can't remember his name though. International guys are always confusing for me, so that's why I struggle with that. Let's see if we can find Bleacher Report's NBA or somebody's NBA mock draft because the one I pulled up was incorrect. Okay. So uh, projected is Anthony Edwards out of Georgia to the number one to Golden State, who then they would probably try to trade somebody for something in some way there. Um, They still have LaMelo Ball going to Cleveland, which in all seriousness, I do believe that LaMelo Ball is the second best pro. I don't know. It's tough because you got guys like Obi Toppin, who's projected to go to Minnesota here. We're using NBA draft.net. Um, and then still to this day, my favorite prospect in the draft is James Wiseman out of Memphis, who they have going seven to the Chicago Bulls. I think the kicker with Wiseman is we don't know what we can oh, 100%. get. 100%. Because he barely played. He barely played, but he has all the measurables that you essentially want from a guy that could be a solid five, maybe even a maybe, maybe even a four, really, if you want to try to play him that way. But yeah, Wiseman, I believe, has a lot of potential that if you go to a team where he can – show his prowess. I think it's so frustrating because I'm, I'm sure most of these guys' names would be commonplace right now due to March Madness, um, w- which is just, you know, sad for the way that goes because I would have loved to see there's Dane guys in March who, Madness, man. There's guys who did, wouldn't have been on this list that probably would have, like, crept their name up there because of March Madness. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, honestly, it also helped guys like uh, Tyrese Halberton. He's the point guard at Iowa State. Iowa State wasn't yeah. making the tournament, so maybe the fact that there was no tournament helped him out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now it'll be interesting, man. I want to see. They don't even have the Lakers because I know we traded. So they have us a 29, Jalen Smith. I thought we traded our pick, but no. Um, but hey, like we said, just happy sports are back, man. Yeah, indeed, man. That's all we can ask for at this point. So then we transition over to uh, another I told you so, Greg, which is the Astros are still getting pitched at. <laughs> he wasn't. This brawl was not because like the Astros were getting pitched at. It was because someone from the Athletics got yep. pitched at three times. So that's a little bit different. It's like the roles were reversed in this case. Do you think that they just assumed that they were going to get pitched at, so they just started whipping it at the Astros? They're whipping it at the Athletics. Uh, I don't know because it was the same guy three nights in a row. So that's the part that doesn't make sense to me necessarily. I don't know if there's like some bad blood between the Astros in the one player or anything. Cause I mean, apparently the guy tried to charge at the hitting coach for the Astros. So that's a possibility, but I, I find it really hard to believe that it'd be the same guy three times in a row. If that was the case. Yeah. Luriano, uh, he went balls to the wall, man. He tried. He ran straight at the dugout and did, he did. what he could. Yeah. I, I found it interesting that the, uh, that the uh, announcers, I believe were the play by play guys were even saying, Oh, this is a bad idea. And I was thinking in my head, I mean, like, yeah, probably a bad idea because they've already come down on the Astros. And I was like, oh, wait a sec. We're in a pandemic. Yep. Probably not a good idea. Not really social time. distancing there. No, none whatsoever. Um, I mean, we'll see more instances of that as the year goes on. It's just commonplace at this point. But I think it's unique by the fact that it is just the same guy three nights in a row. I don't know the backstory behind it. I don't know what was the reasoning for it or what or whatnot but yeah i just called this i don't want to say that it's a, a measure of things to come i think it was just more of a unique circumstance agreed and uh someone said that they um suspended the joe kelly eight games for the fight between the astros and the athletics which i laughed extremely hard at <laughs> uh there's two names that i want to talk to you about the two and, and one of them is uh Fernando Tatis Jr. So six home runs in six games right now, right? Yeah. Uh, this dude is going to be the next face of baseball. Ooh. Huh? Not even, not even up for discussion, man. This dude was, this dude was the top prospect in all of baseball for the last two to three years, and he made his debut last year. Um, was injured for a little bit, so he didn't get a chance to really show everything that he could do but man dude's 21 years old and he has everything that you want from a shortstop whether it be defense or whether it be hitting like the dude's special 
Wow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, his story is unbelievable. And just looking at the dude's stats, it's, it's crazy. Um, do you think that he actually stays a while at the Padres, especially after the big contract they shelled out this offseason? Yes. Mm. Yes, I agree. He will definitely stay in San Diego. I mean, dude, who wouldn't want to stay in San Diego right there? I mean, I, I saw a, a cover story feature that uh, he was on with Jeff Sound, yep. and he was – He's got he's got a San Diego apartment like right on the beach and stuff, man. Like, come on, like San Diego, like like granted they they haven't been relevant in terms of in terms of success over the last couple of years and all that. But if you want to go to a market where you can you know relax and stuff, and you at least have a decent fan base and can will pay you money to be the face of your thing for a while, nothing wrong <laughs> with that. I mean, Mike Mike Trout's Mike Trout signed a four hundred million dollar contract to stay in. Anaheim, yeah, I would sign that to stay in Anaheim too. Yeah. Yeah, and he's from New Jersey, so he grew up like a Yankees and a Phillies fan. So there was a very good chance that he could have gone there if he wanted to. But, yeah, he's staying in Anaheim. So I, Fernando Tatis, if someone offers him 300 mil to stay in San Diego, don't even second guess it. Get your money, baby. Exactly. So he's the real deal. That's good because the six home run things I fully believe in. I just was curious if it was a hot streak or if he was the real oh. deal. Oh no, dude! He is—he is the real deal. This dude's gonna be the face of baseball in a couple of years. I—I I will bet money on that. Can't believe that, man. Um, and then the next thing I want to ask you—I just saw this for the first time today. Pat Venditti. This 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 mofo is pitching both hands on the mound like successfully for the Marlins right now. Uh, yeah, he's ambidextrous. Oh I my believe. god, uh, that so, dude! It was amazing. I saw yeah. I saw it on Twitter this morning for the first time, and he's just up there switching the glove into other hands and just playing baseball. Yeah, so I believe this is the same guy, and if I recall correctly, so he he's also the guy that he was the ambidextrous pitcher in the minor leagues, and what happened was he was in he was doing an at bat against a guy who's a switch hitter, so. The switch hitter comes up, goes into one side of the box, then then switches his box. Oh, my God. Then the the hitter switches the box, then then switches gloves, and it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And it was essentially, Pat's the reason that a rule was invented where the pitcher has to be the one to initiate. Gotcha. Glove used first if you have a switch hitter. Wow. Yeah, having a role after you is big, big, big dick energy. Just for the record. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. That that's pretty baller that you could do that. But yeah, no, this is this is a guy that um I heard the story like about a while ago because I remember seeing the video because I've never seen someone who could pitch with both hands. That's that's very impressive just because of the amount of strain that goes yes. on your arm and the amount of work you have to do to do to be able to pull off something like that. So. I can only imagine the amount of pain this dude's in just from one game where he's using both. Well, that's my thing. Like, this is going to sound pretty basic in my explanation, but I feel like he is the closest thing we get to multiple full or perfect or whatever games in a season because my right arm's getting tired. I'm just going to switch to my left. Like, I know that seems very basic way of understanding how ambidextric pitchers work, but, like, you can't tell me that this dude is just like, oh, my right arm's going to get tired. I'm going to start pitching my left for matchup normally but uh, this dude's awesome that's true but it's also it also could be a possibility of like one arm might have better stuff than the other one oh for sure better control with your yeah like you might be able to throw harder with your right arm but you are able to throw off-speed junk better with your left arm so it's 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 a balancing thing i'd say from there uh, I also just got word, which will transition us over to the football portion of our show. The Patriots just worked out uh, former Miami Dolphin and former Houston Texans running back Lamar, which is mind-blowing to me based on the running backs that the Patriots currently have. Yeah, I'm surprised. I would have thought based on all the people that already opted out for the Patriots, they'd go in other directions instead of running back again. Yeah, I mean, you got James White, Sonny Michelle, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead. Why even add a guy like Lamar Miller in there? Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I feel like their defense is going to be the one that they really need to add guys on. I mean, you lost Dante Hightower for the year, and I think you have other areas that are going to be weakened by not having people playing. So and it's a little surprising that you would add a fifth running back to your rotation. But, I mean, if Bill Belichick wants to 
use that to supplant Cam or uh, Jared Stidham, which, by the way, did you see that they actually listed Stidham and Cam Newton? As I saw that. It, of course Bill Belichick would do that. Like, only Bill Belichick. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a guessing game right there, which is very entertaining to me from that perspective, that if Cam comes into this and he's not the starter, I would laugh so much at this. I don't know why. I feel bad for Cam on one hand, but at the same time, I'd find it hilarious that even after signing a former MVP, Bill Belichick would still go with Jared Stedham as a starter. Hey, man, I put nothing past him, just for the record. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, he's... Yeah, I, I have no words from him. He's Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> the next thing I want to get into is it's an insider article written by Bill Barnwell, who I don't know if you enjoy or don't. Or no, it's uh, Eric Carabell. Excuse me, Eric Carabell. Um, I enjoy Eric Carabell's articles for fantasy because they're just different. I normally follow the Fantasy Focus podcast with Matthew Barry and Field Yates and Stephanie Bell. Um, so reading a little bit of a different perspective, but there's some names on here I don't really agree with at all. And it's his guys you should not draft that are being drafted way too early. Okay. So the first two names uh, at the quarterback position, and, and obviously there's more than two names, but quarterbacks to avoid. He has Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers on that list. So Josh Allen, I kind of understand because if you look at the numbers from the previous year, Josh Allen was definitely more of a running quarterback compared to a passer. And you would, I also don't believe that he's developed the – you know, the necessarily the pocket awareness or the ability to read coverage better yet. I still mm-hmm. just think he has, I think he, he's getting there, but I would say that his numbers last year might've been kind of skewed a bit. Aaron Rodgers, I can also see the argument on this case too, because looking at his numbers last year, they were probably the worst of his career, but that was mostly because the Packers transitioned to a running type of attack, which is why Aaron Jones it just absolutely blew up numbers that we hadn't seen from a Green Bay running back in a while and why Aaron Jones is probably going to be a guy that's drafted in the second round this year. So I, I can see the reasoning for that, I guess. I mean, I I would definitely consider these guys as double digits if they got there. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to draft Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers early. Well, that's – that's so I, I wrote my article on the fantasy-relevant quarterbacks in my rankings, and Josh Allen's high. I love Josh Allen, man. And it's because of the rushing ability. It's because of an increased uh, uh, receiving core he has there now with Stephon Diggs, obviously. It's because of their running game. going to have a lot more of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss want to punch that I adore. And it's because they have a very, very good defense. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I don't hate as much like for the reasons you said. They just don't have that much passing talent, but they do have one of the most skilled arms we've seen in a long time. So uh, if they're around in the 9, 10, 11, I'm definitely going to take one of those two. Uh, the other names on here, just for full uh, transparency, are Cam Newton, Ryan Tannehill, and Baker Mayfield, who I believe that uh, all three of them could be, and I put this in the article, very solid number two quarterbacks for your roster if you take a guy early on like a Carson Wentz uh, who's had some injury issues or if you get stuck with a Stafford or a Flyer. So I don't think you should necessarily avoid them. I just don't think you should target them. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, I would argue, lucked out by having one of the best running backs of the second yes. half last year to be able to work with. Cam Newton, we have no idea what that offense is going to look like in New England yet. And Baker Mayfield, I would argue with Kevin Stefanski that Nick Chubb is going to be the one to benefit more from the change in coaches than Mayfield will. Yeah, 100%. I, I, kinda, I mean, again, I don't love the Browns, but I do want the Browns to be successful because I'm tired of Browns fans thinking their team is good when their team is shit. At least if you're going to be delusional, let's make them not liars. Uh, moving on to the running backs. So again, man, I, I just, there's some names on here that I despise. Um, so the big three names that he writes about, and then there's the others to avoid. We'll talk about the big three first. And that is Todd Gurley, Mark Ingram, and David Johnson. I personally love Todd Gurley. I think what scares Todd Gurley for this case is because he's going to a completely different offense where Matt Ryan is noticeably a very good passer that has two, one, an elite receiver and one that is working his way up to being elite. 
Um, and I think that looking at Atlanta's offense, we haven't necessarily seen what they can do with an every down back because I think Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, when they were in their hot, hot peaks together, uh, Devontae Freeman was the bell cow, but he was also injured a lot. So I could see the reasoning for wanting Todd Gurley is because of the fact that he is truly an every down back that Atlanta hasn't had in a long time. So they could actually get yeah. wonders for him. But I think the other issue with this is will the offense actually do something with regards to playing it in the way that you will have an every down back? And also, how healthy is the knee? That is the yep. biggest issue with Todd Gurley that we saw the last two years. And if he is fully healthy, then I can see the reasoning for wanting to get Todd Gurley in your league. I also am a big fan of Mark Ingram. And the reason is because Lamar, you would have to assume, is going to be rushing less. And, yes, they did draft J.K. Dobbins, but there's no way that J.K. Dobbins is going to take the workload going into the season. Mark Ingram is still going to be a huge, huge part of that offense. Uh, I expect touchdown regression, but his pass catching is still there. And I just like Mark Ingram based off last year. I think he's good for around 200 points at fantasy this year. Yeah, Mark Ingram is very underrated in terms of his pass-catching ability just because he's not necessarily relied on as much. I would argue that because of the fact that the receiving core in Baltimore is still sketchy at best, that you need to rely on your running backs to be able to take dumb passes over the middle. And Lamar, I think, because he'll be running less, will probably have to take more advantage of that. So it is a possibility right there. I just think that with the they have a lot of backs – there to be able to work with it's not necessarily in the same mold as the Patriots style but they have a good rotation right there that it's kind of hard to be able to justify taking one specific guy early and expecting them to be the bell cow because I think they rotate them very nicely there to kind of get like a healthy stable to work with yeah I can agree with that and then the last name obviously we talked about was David Johnson which I don't hate um I think David Johnson was a guy that people said last year was going to get 1K, 1K, and I said, no way in hell. Um, I like David Johnson a lot as a football player, but I think his best years are 100% behind him, and I do not trust that offense in Houston. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about David Johnson because I'm a big believer that when he was healthy, he was a absolute potential to be a 1K, 1K guy. Um, I think last year was very surprising to see how we didn't get that from him. But I was he hurt last year? I think he was. Yes, like, he a was. Little bit. That's why they had. To, that's why they had to get Kenyon Drake. Okay. Um, I think if he's fully healthy, there's a good possibility that he'll be relied upon a lot more with this offense because of the fact that they don't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore, and because I would argue that they really need to get Deshaun Watson some running help because it's the best friend for a young quarterback yeah. to be able to work with on that. So I could see a good resurgence from David Johnson coming in this year, but I don't, I'm not going to go out of my way to draft him early. If that's the case right there. I mean, if I could get him in like the sixth round, I think that'd be a steal, maybe fifth even, but yeah, he's got I, a fall to a certain not, spot for me to want him. Right, right. I would say fifth or sixth would be like a fair spot for him because he is a starter right there in Houston. So there's a very good chance that he will get productivity as a number one starter for them. But I also am very intrigued to see how an offense with him will work. Yeah. Um, other names on here that I do think you should avoid. Obviously, one of them is Darius Geis, which this article had to have come out before Darius Geis was released by the Washington football team. Uh, Ronald Jones the second for the Buccaneers, Philip Lindsay for the Broncos, and Sony Michelle for the Patriots. All of those situations are too ugly for me to risk anything. Uh, out of the three of them, I'd probably take Rojo just because Keyshawn Vaughn is unproven out of Vanderbilt for Tampa, but they have no other running backs, and Tom Brady loves to throw to his running backs. So if you can get a rapport with Rojo, I love it. Yeah, for me, I would take Sony Michelle just because I think that um, with the new quarterback situation going on, in New England right now, I don't know if James White is going to be necessarily as effective as we typically would expect from him with Tom Brady because Cam is not really a guy that takes advantage of the easy yardage that we could possibly get from up the middle that James White is accustomed to. And Sonny Michelle is a guy that I believe is probably the truest running back on that depth chart right there. And I think he's a guy that, if given the opportunity, could go for 1K in a year. So I, I would take a risk on Sonny Michelle in this case. 
there is one more name I left off just because I wanted to talk about it because it's a name that I'm actually telling people to target, and that is Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. I think that that offense is bad. I think Jameson Crowder is their top receiver. I like Denzel. I love Sam Darnold, but that offensive line is eh. But I do think that Le'Veon Bell has a much better year than last year, this year, just because of his ability to be in that uh, offense for an extra year. I'd be willing to give last year a bit of a mulligan for Le'Veon Bell because of the fact yes. that he didn't have any game reps the previous year. So I, he was probably getting himself back into football shape, which I think is a very real thing. Um, I think that he will have a bounce back year compared to last year. I think Sam Darnold and him probably will have a better understanding of what the offense needs for him to be able to work. And I think Darnold needs to be able to rely on Le'Veon Bell a bit more for cat for easy dumps down the middle, which Bell really is a great option to be able to do that though. Like when he's healthy and he's retiring on slurs, he's an elite running back in this game. Yes. I think he might be a little bit past his prime, but there's still a very good chance that he could be productive for a young quarterback like Sam Darnold. And you also have to remember too, like they didn't have Sam Darnold for the start of the season either. So big mono guy. Numbers, yeah, so yeah, so Lev's numbers could have really been impacted by the fact that he wasn't there. So there's a very good chance that if Darnold is actually playing for most of the season, Bell's numbers could probably spike tremendously in that case. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, let us get through the wide receivers and the tight ends, and then we'll call it a fun little show. So the wide receivers on the list are Stephon Diggs, A.J. Green, and Debo Samuel for the ones that he actually blogged about. Uh, for me personally, I'm avoiding Stefan Diggs where he's being drafted. I love AJ Green for where he's being drafted, and I just don't trust Debo Samuel's role in that offense as a gadget type guy. Man, every time you say gadget type guy, it drives me nuts because Debo Samuel is so much more than a gadget guy, man. He is a possession receiver waiting to happen if just given the damn opportunity. See, the problem is it's just waiting Debo to happen, is the problem. No, I love Debo Samuel. <laughs> it depends on depends on where he is falling. I will gladly draft him for my team. Love him. Um, Stefan Diggs, I also believe, is going to get drafted way too high because of the fact that he's in a new offense with Josh yeah. Allen. Um, it's a little nerve-wracking for me to take advantage of that because of the fact he doesn't have a number two to work off of. I mean, John Brown had a good year last year. Yes, but I don't yeah. know if he would be cool a as well. solid – yeah, but I don't know if he's a solid number two to pair with Stefan Diggs. We shall see. AJ Green, I agree with you. He's getting underrated so much because he didn't play at all last year, and he has a brand-new quarterback to work with. So that offense is going to be very intriguing to see in Cincinnati. Hey, and if anybody wants to hear struggles, I made it to the championship game with having AJ Green on my bench the entire year. So yeah, he uh, didn't play a single game. But uh, other names on this list are Will Fuller who I'm avoiding just because I don't know what to think of that team. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Sammy Watkins, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Antonio Brown. Do you like any of those names? Because there's one I do like. Um, I'm, I'm still struggling on that one. Um, I mean, I would consider Deshaun Jackson potentially just because that, that Eagles wide receiver group is so – it's interesting to say the least on that one. I think there's a very good complement of guys right there, but it's hard to tell which one is actually going to be a prime number one candidate right there. And there were some games where Deshaun Jackson absolutely went off for them. So I would take a I would take a chance on him too. I love uh, – I still love Sterling Shepard, man. I understand that Jerry Slayton was the guy that broke out last year, but I think uh, when you have a rookie quarterback playing, he's just going to throw to the guy that he likes. But I think Sterling Shepard, out of the names on that list, outside of AB, is the best – uh, wide receiver out of the Will Fuller to AB guys there. Um, and let's wrap up here with the tight ends. Uh, interestingly enough, let's see. I don't even – wow, that is the shortest article of all time. It doesn't even have, like, others to avoid. Oh, well, whatever. He says uh, Rob Gronkowski and Jared Cook. Those are the only two names he writes about. Thoughts on those two? I don't even know where Jared Cook is playing this year. He is a New Orleans Saint, my friend. Ah, okay. Um, Gronk, I would definitely draft, but I would not draft him in the first 10 rounds. I think he is being overhyped for, again, he hasn't played football in two years. I think there's a big learning curve 
to be able to get himself game shape. So I, even though he is with his quarterback that he was having successful with, I truly do not think he is going to be as big of a difference maker as we believe he will be in his first year. I agree. And they still vote Right. And Cameron Bray. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another reason why Jared Cook is being, you know, kind of frowned upon is because they did draft uh, Adam Troutman out of Dayton, who is everybody's favorite tight end, who I did snag up in fantasy, so I'm excited to see him. But honestly, I like Cook this year in fantasy. I think um, he had a very good year last year, and even with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, I think the Saints offense is going to be top three once again. I personally love Alvin Kamara this year so much more than I did last year. Um, but tight ends are interesting. Another name that – a couple names that I would actually – I like – for tight end this year, and I'm excited to see where they go, is uh, Noah Font and uh, TJ Hawkinson. I think both of those guys could have big years this year breaking out for fantasy. Yeah, Hawkinson in his first week was a stud. Yes, too, but 22 points week one, baby. Again. Yeah, but I think the reason he plateaued again was because Matt Stafford. Was so yes. Was very if you have your starting quarterback play, he could play very well. But Noah Font, I'm a little nervous about just because I think with all the weapons that they have supplied Drew Locke there, it's going to be like – pick your poison about who's going to go from a certain especially week. with Albert O also being drafted there this year yeah I I don't know if Locke is going to I think Locke has so many weapons to play with and try to figure out that it's going to be tough pickings trying to figure out who's going to go off on a certain week I don't know if he he's not the most polished quarterback to be able to spread everything out if that makes sense yeah no I agree with that I, I, I do think uh <laughs> oh excuse me I do think that their wide receiver group is an interesting one. I love, obviously, Jerry Judy. And I think that um, Cortland Sutton could have a big year. It, it just, like you said, it, it, you have no idea who's going to get the ball each week. I mean, that team is now loaded with guys. And you can say that about a couple different franchises. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are one where normally I love CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. But if you're going to tell me all of those talents are all going to get their same stats, you're, you know, you're crazy. Right. Just because that's almost impossible. So, um, I will be attempting to draft Hawkinson in a couple leagues just because I believe in the boys' hands. But up until then, we'll have to see what happens. I like it. I can definitely see Hawkinson doing some big numbers this year. Let's hope so, baby. All right, Greg, this has been the Two Beers Deep podcast. We will see everybody live on Thursday on Twitch for another wonderful Twitch Twitch show. Your first Twitch stream as the host, too, which is going to be pretty <laughs> exciting. I might, maybe I'll just cancel and be the ranking again. Aw, uh, don't do that. You're going to hurt Austin's heart. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch everybody Thursday. Gregor's good show, buddy. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you. Hey.